Hey everyone! Uh, before we get started, I wanted to let you know a couple of things. First off, on September 26th, that is this coming Tuesday, I, Ashley Lauren Rogers, will be doing a stand-up set at the People's Improv Theater, The Pit, at 123 East 24th Street, New York, New York, at 9 p.m. It is a lady mustache show. Uh, what that means is all of the performers, all of the people uh, doing stand-up, will be ladies, and they will be wearing mustaches. So it will be an interesting time. Also, just as a word of warning, the world according to Garp, and uh, a lot of these I mention in this episode, uh, I don't watch these before I go into them, so uh, if you haven't been, if you've been trying to keep up, I know we don't post what we're watching publicly until they're out, uh, but if you keep up, then uh, just make sure that you do your Googling, make sure you do your own research on these things. Uh, but yeah, World According to Garp has a lot of dubious consent issues, uh, so just keep that in mind, and so we do bring up a lot of things like rape, uh, because it is a part of bits and pieces. It's not the whole, it's not the whole movie, but just there are bits and pieces of dubious consent. Also, my guest this week, Tony, who is wonderful, and I loved having their perspective on this movie. Uh, there were a couple of moments where Tony went into directions that I did not know where Tony was going, and that's fine, that's the whole nature of these types of things, um, but I just want to say, if it was not made clear, and uh, if things were not gleaned the right way, uh, Tony and I brought up the idea of pedophilia, uh, because I got uncomfortable with naked babies being shown so much in the beginning of this, uh, and at one point Tony brought up the idea of uh, the, like, uh, uh, essentially people who have pedophilic uh, tendencies not being able to access things that will help them. Uh, I forget exactly the way that Tony phrased it, but basically, uh, Tony did circle back and say, like, you know, not that, you know, we should not create that material, and uh, I want to make sure that it's known, is it transphobic? Myself and Tony do not condone the creation of uh, underage pornography, pornography containing subjects that are under the age of 18. Okay? Great. So, here's the show. Is It Transphobic? We'll be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Is It Transphobic? My name is Ashley, and I am the producer, editor, and coordinator of this podcast. And I need help taking on some of these roles. It's a lot. I think I'm at the point where all the hats I'm wearing are about to topple over. So, with that in mind, I'm delegating some of my work. Let me introduce you to the person, or should I say entity, who will be assigning us the pieces of media we will be critiquing... Please welcome to the podcast, JPEG Format. Hello again, Ashley. Listeners may remember JPEG Format from our two feature episodes on the Trans Theater Fest at the Brick. Pleased to be working with you, Ashley. 
JPEG is going to be like our Charlie from Charlie's Angels. Well, I am more likely to be Pearl, or any one of the various people who shot those lovely mystery science theater robots into space. <laughs> You're not planning to shoot us into space, though. Right, JPEG? Of course not, Ashley. If I wanted to arrange that, you would already be halfway to Saturn. Great! I guess. Uh, what, what do you have for us today, JPEG? Today you'll be talking about a movie called The World According to Garp. Okay, is that a Forgotten Wayne's World sequel? No. Ashley, it's a film oh, based on... Oh, is it on... a Garth Brooks music documentary? He's got, a, he's got friends in low places, but... No. Ashley. Oh! I know, it's a Pokemon movie. Well, yes. You know, World According to Magikarp? Yes, it is. Ashley, do you know what the rings of Saturn look like? Not really, no. If you continue interrupting with those terrible jokes, then I will ensure you personally see. Tell me a little bit more about the world according to, um, uh, <clears throat> uh tell me more about this movie, JPEG. Released in 1982, The World According to Garp is based on a novel by John Irving published in 1978. For their roles in the film, John Lithgow and Glenn Close were nominated for Academy Awards for Best Actor and Actress in a Supporting Role, respectively. You'll be watching this film in particular because of John Lithgow's role of Roberta, a former football player and a trans woman. Alright, well, it sounds good, JPEG. Glad to have you aboard. Thank you, Ashley. Now carry on and tell the world about the world according to Garp. Hello again, my name is Ashley Lauren Rogers, I'm the producer of Is It Transphobic, uh, and I use she, her pronouns, and today I'm being joined by... Uh, my name is Tony Kokensparger, I'm a post-language poet, I use they's and sometimes she's, and sometimes you just call me Tony. Awesome. Uh, and today we have been tasked with going over the movie The World According to Garp. Uh, now, this is a movie I had not seen. I kind of vaguely heard of, but I don't know why. I think I, I thought it was a. I heard of this movie. I, honestly, I think I thought it was a Garth Brooks concert movie. I, I, I really wish that that's what you had sent me. Like as a, as a, like a diehard, like as a kid who grew up loving country music, that would have been mm -hmm. incredible. And I would love to talk about Garth Brooks in the context of this podcast, but I don't think I don't even know how to begin. Well, you know, because Robin Williams, he's got friends in low places, right. I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, so The World According to Garb, so neither of us had ever seen it, neither of us really heard about it. I, it, it fell on my radar because somebody brought it up when we're talking about, like, cis people portraying trans people, mm -hmm. and they brought up John Lithgow in this, and I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'll give it a shot, you sure, know? It's sure. the name of the podcast, we watch things, and then we decide, hey, is it transphobic? Uh, and so... Yeah, do you want to do you feel like you'd be able to give a rundown of what the plot yeah. is? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh I I connected a lot. I mean I connect I just like hugely connected to this movie a lot cuz I I um I'm a, a, a writer and an artist and my mom uh, is an artist and a writer and sort of uh I I learned so much growing up with her and this is a movie mm. that's largely about um it's about a writer Robin Williams is a writer named Garp um whose mother uh how do you even begin? This is like such a plot-heavy mm. movie. Um, it's about the life of one one man who's um, the, sort of surrounded by all these different women who all have different, um, really different backgrounds and really different effects on him. Like it's sort of, um, you know, it's about Garp, but it's not really about Garp mm. if you really look at the film. There's his mother who um, 
uh, conceives Garp with a dying soldier in the war, so he grows up without a father, um, and then, you know, raises him to be, you know, raises him, and uh, they move to New York together to both become writers. She writes um, a book that comes out that's sort of her thoughts on um, sex and her thoughts on womanhood and um, that in America, and it becomes this radically... Mm -hmm. A uh, huge cult phenomenon that's picked up by all of these people and ends up living in this, running this. She's a, she's a nurse and she ends up running this house where she's sort of helping um, all these women heal and it's this like sanctuary for all these women who like adore her and um, for them to go and study feminism and study her brand of feminism and study um, each other. There's a there's a group there um, who have all cut their tongues out because there was a there was a story they had heard about a young girl who was raped who had had her tongue cut out so she wouldn't tell anybody and there's um, uh, John Lithgow's, uh, we meet John Lithgow there. Um, uh, Roberta. Ro yeah. yeah, Roberta. Mm -hmm. um, they're formerly Robert, formerly an NFL uh, football something, sports. Um, <laughs> and I, boy, I, does that come into play as well. It like, does. Throughout all of the movie. It's actually, yeah, they, they weave it in, not seamlessly, it's very clear from mm -hmm. the beginning that that's like, this is part of the character, but, but the whole, they play the it well. The whole film's about gender, though. Yeah. Like, the whole film, mm -hmm. besides besides Garp growing up, you know, when you see Garp as a kid being this, you know, mom wants me to be into basketball, but I want to be into wrestling, which is, like, dangerous because of its, um, the masculinity, and there's more masculinity in wrestling, and there's more, mm -hmm. there's there's that, there's um, Garp's relationship with um, women, and he, as he's trying to date, I mean, he only becomes a writer to impress this um girl he loves from back home who loves to read hmm. um that's sort of like what leads him down his career um uh who else there's um i mean the play the, the film ends with him having a daughter at some point you know there's there's all of this oh all spoiler the, alert no but yeah, yeah no no yeah, i mean if you if it came, it's, out, it came out in 82 83 if you don't know you can google it <laughs> if you don't know but this isn't game of thrones okay <laughs> yeah, yeah world yeah. according to game of thrones no but but yeah, like, and the, one of the things that I really clung to about this and that I loved was that uh, when his mother uh, put out this book mm -hmm. and she became sort of the face of feminism, at the time it was like the face of second wave feminism, mm -hmm. and especially in trans circles, second wave feminism has a tendency to be looked at as a very, uh, like it was sort of the birth of the TERFs. Uh, or at the very least, like, not the birth of, but at the very least, like, the strongest moment where the TERFs really had the biggest microphone. Um, but what I love is that they center Roberta so much there, mm -hmm. and that Roberta is always welcomed. Roberta is a woman, and that as much as that is part of the history of it, and that's why a lot of, again, trans folk tend to look at seminates, like immediately tend to look at second wave feminism as a very like anti-trans movement, it wasn't. There was a lot of love and a lot of uh, people bringing in trans women as women, uh, at, at least as that part of it. Um, it's just unfortunate that a lot of the history has been a little bit muddled and muddied uh, and so I, I really appreciated that Roberta was constantly affirmed throughout this entire movie without necessarily it being like, no, you're a woman. Oh, you're a... like, it well, wasn't melodramatic. She, she becomes one of Garp's best friends. Yeah. There's, there's even a moment in the film where I wonder if he's going to leave his wife for um, Roberta because he's spending so much time connecting with Roberta that I tr there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, probably about like a 10 minute period where 
you know, his, his, there's a period where his wife is starting to have this affair with this student, and um, he's getting deeper into his family and being more and more satisfied with his family, possibly because he might have had an affair, which is a whole other part of this. Um, but he's spending a lot of time with Roberta. Like, the first time he meets Roberta, he has that, like, moment of being a little shocked and a little um, confused. And then the next, like, a few minutes later in the film, they're hanging out, and then they just keep hanging out. Like, Roberta becomes the... His wife is a teacher, he's a writer who stays at home all day, and so Roberta becomes the, um, like, the aunt that comes over and plays with his kids with him. Roberta becomes the... Uh, you know, when he and his kids are playing um, knights, Roberta is the damsel in distress tied to the tree. You know, Roberta takes fills in in a lot of the spots. Um, and we also get to see a lot of, like, little glimpses into Roberta's private life, even though Roberta is not actually a central character in this. We get look at Roberta having trouble finding love, and we look at Roberta um, getting hate mail, and we look at Roberta... Like, we, we get to see... That was what I... Actually, like, one of the things that I thought was some of the most well done in the film was like these little glimpses into Roberta's life even though it's not a film that centers around the trans character it still gives ample time for you to understand the internal mechanics of um, what some of that struggle is like and mm. I, I really thought they handled that gently and I thought they handled that um, calmly and without overstating anything and without being melodramatic yeah you know yeah it was it was in the in the quest to make like films that um in the quest to make films that like uh, help uh, n- like normalize, or, you know, whatever that, t- which is a, not a word I really like, but and I I don't know a better one. And mm. in the quest, to, you know, to make films that make um, uh, that include trans characters in a way that is not um, l- uh, aggressive or over the top or uh, hard for an audience to swallow, I think this is probably one of the most deft hands I've seen at that mm. um i don't know if that makes sense yeah no it makes perfect sense like i i i tend to agree like a lot of the other stuff and especially for this period of time mm-hmm. that the film was made like the late 70s into the 80s uh it was definitely a time where like we were getting we would eventually get the crying game and we would eventually mm-hmm. get a bunch of these other ones that were super exploitative this pre, and this is pretty boys don't cry too right? i believe so yeah 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 because yeah. yeah. yeah, that was the 90s right? yeah yeah yeah, 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 no, yeah. yeah i'm sorry this yeah. is like way pre boys so cry. yeah so there was Oof. It's interesting because there's definitely some language and some framing of that language that sort of moves in a direction that I don't necessarily agree with, but that's just because it was the 70s into the Mm -hmm. 80s, uh, and they were portraying the 60s, and these were the words that were being used, Mm -hmm. and uh, the other reason that I kind of forgive that, and so if you're watching, then, like, if you watch the movie, there are probably going to be some words that, like, you're like, oh, okay, but... Yeah, again, these a lot of these were the words that people were using to self-determine themselves, and a lot of the narrative that they... Can you give an can, example of that? Yeah, like, there was a, a moment, like, just the idea of, um, oh, I wish I had had children when I was a man. Uh, oh, sure. And, sure. like, and it's very yeah, minor. Yeah, noticed, like, it's very that, yeah, small, yeah. but at the same time, I feel like there are going to be segments, particularly of our younger audience, that maybe uh, are missing that historical context. It's just like, yeah, no, that was just kind of the narrative as much as... 
Uh, there were many people that fought against that narrative even then as well. If you start looking into the history and a lot of what uh, uh, people were, like a lot of advocates and a lot of people that were uh, activists were saying, they were trying to break that narrative as a, it works for some, but not everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that and the word transsexual, um, mm -hmm. which I don't remember if it actually popped up in the... I didn't, the, get, it. I didn't yeah, get it in the film. It was, it's used in all of the descriptions, but also, the, and I haven't read the novel, but from what I understand, right. that's the word that uh, the novel uh, uses to describe Roberta. Because in the, in the film, I don't think they actually even ever say trans. Mm. In the film, um, we hear about, because the, the, the explanation, the way, they're, they're, the, there's the two things at the beginning where there's like, the, there's like jokes that mm. allude to, this is when I thought Roberta was going to be a one-off at the beginning of the film, yeah. um, because they're playing it kind of funny at first. It's that whole thing. I forget. Um, it's on my notes, which I left conveniently over there. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a couple moments where Robin Williams with Garp is first meeting uh, Roberta, and there's like a, a couple of, you know moments in the dialogue that are, like are supposed to clue the audience in to like Garp not really figuring it out because Garp doesn't really know at first, um, and then, but those go away, and then the most you ever hear about it after that is you hear about Roberta talking about being ro formerly being Robert, mm. and like the pa like the, uh, uh, the you know past life sort of situation um but there's never it's never explicitly stated which i thought mm. was interesting and kind of made me feel really good when i watched the film you know this it's um it wasn't like look here's a trans character it was roberta mm. and like the film makes roberta just roberta in a way and very quickly in such a way that like it you know it doesn't it doesn't ignore it so it doesn't leave the audience out in the cold especially yeah. for 1983 it does not leave the audience just sitting there feeling like this is this you know elephant in the room that we haven't talked about mm. but then it moves past it so that mm. you forget completely you know what i mean you don't you don't you don't um it that that is a topic does not linger in the film which i think is important mm. um or more films should do like, I wish years ago somebody had recommended that I watch this film for sure. this reason, sure. because I really feel like more than anything else, this is, it's not the way, because there's no the way to do anything, but it's one of the ways that I would try and use as a, like, as a teacher mm -hmm. of how to write for trans and non-binary narratives sure. to write a trans character as far as the way that she's portrayed in the film because they do such a good job with the uh like with that dancing around so that it's like no it's clear it's obvious it's there but it's also just one facet of this character mm -hmm. who's also a former football player who's also helping out at uh the this home for folks that need some form of help mm -hmm. uh like that's it's part of their character not necessarily only their character, the mm -hmm. only facet of their character. Well, and that's that's mm. I think important, and that's the thing that um, any like minority group struggles with when it comes to um, storytelling. This is a thing that I see all the time, um, where a character is not just bisexual, but bisexuality is like part of the plot, as mm. opposed to just being a character who's bisexual. And it's how do you show these things without making it strange? How do you integrate them in a way that feels natural to the the story itself? Um, how does this I, th I see this all the time in the stories, and I see it's it always falls in like one of two camps. Either it's done like this, where it's very subtle and it's just part of the um, like another colorful detail in the story, or it's that heavy-handed 
thing where that's the only point. And that's fine if you're t truly telling a story about um, uh, whatever minority group and that's like the thing. But in general, I don't think that technique is as successful as just telling a human story where whatever makes this group a minority is part of like just sort of what makes the world um, pretty and light and bright and you know what I mean um, I thought this film did a really good job of handling that yeah um, yeah yeah <laughs> um, cool so I also found it very refreshing that in a movie where so much bizarre shit happens the trans woman and there was a moment in the beginning like you were saying where it's like oh this is like a oh this is a shock to Robin Williams mm -hmm. that this person is a trans person uh, but in a movie where planes are crashing into people's mm -hmm. houses and uh, people are dangling from roofs about to like children are dangling from roofs sure, about sure. to die that like yeah the, the trans character is one of the most normal facets of the movie well it's 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 almost funny even that it takes I, I guess maybe that's like like it's it's almost funny that it even takes Scarp back a little bit to meet Roberta because by that mm. point you're right like his the house that he's about to buy is randomly crashed into by a plane all of a sudden um, his whole life has been extraordinary anyway like that's mm. the whole point of his life it's the world according to Garp and his, the world according to Garp is mm. bizarre um He's also, but he's also, it's weird because when he goes to that house at first, he's not only meeting, it's not only just a house of women that his mother is running, but it's a house of women, like, it's not, it's like, not to say that, like, any, like, that'd be strange, it's just like, it's a weird, like, cult kind of thing that he's running mm -hmm. into, like, it's, it's not, you know, a hospital, but it is sort of being treated like a hospital, it's like a situation he doesn't fully understand, mm -hmm. but he's meeting a lot of women who have purposefully cut out their tongues, which is a whole thing, he's meeting... Um, a lot of women who the, he he um, a girl falls over and he touches her arm and she sh I mean just shrieks in recoil because mm. no man can touch her anymore like that's mm. part of the mission of this place is to be at safety um, a, like a safe haven away from men um, you know he's he's greeted with a lot of things it's almost like he doesn't part of the reason he doesn't notice Roberta at first um, or what makes Roberta special at first um, uh, uh, is because he's also like running into all this other, like he he, it takes him I think like three or four interactions with Roberta before it starts to click in his head that he's talking to a trans person, mm. um, and part of that is like he's just dealing with the shock of all of this. So it's sort of, that's like the joke of that mm. moment. The joke of that moment is like all this crazy stuff's going on and he is not even noticing John Lithgow at first. Mm. You know, he is not even noticing. Um, so it sort of eases him in in a way, and it sort of eases the audience in in a way too. I don't know. I have nowhere to go with this. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. But yeah, like, and it's it's. I feel like I never like that joke of like, oh, you're the most normal person here. Yeah. yeah. And then the, because that's like it's the joke set up that you don't necessarily even need a punchline for, uh, the punch because the punchline is that she's trans and she's right, like ah. Right. Well, yeah. But like, like, and they do that, but I I think they move away from it really quickly and easily so that it's not exploitative. But it still exists. Right. Yeah. It, it is. It is this sort of thing. Hmm. Like, if there is a part of this film that is transphobic, mm. and I would say that largely this is not a transphobic film, and in fact mm. this film is, like, very... Oh, like, you're spoiling the ending! Like, no, this film is, like, really good yeah. for uh, mm. trans people in general. Because, mm. like, I, for one, like, this was a really 
um, you know, as somebody who's like genderqueer and is still um, exploring a lot of my identity and like, um, and whose clothing sort of changes depending on where, um, like, uh, depending on where I'm living um, and like how I'm feeling about my building as I've been moving from building to building. I've had some buildings where I feel pretty good about, you know, running downstairs in a dress and running to the corner and some buildings where I really don't feel quite as good about that. Mm. Um, uh, I thought this was maybe the one moment that was really like that is the one frustrating moment is that initial joke is that initial is the fact that it's almost like it's fine to include a character who's trans but only if you undercut it from moment one so everybody understands that like they can still laugh at it mm. like the concept mm. and you know what I mean like that's that's mm. you mean like yeah. like like a joke to ease the mm. audience's mind mm. about Roberta um it's sort of, mm. it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know how like, um, I mean, you do, you do, um, some comedy when you mm. when you go onto a stage for comedy, like the best thing you can do is make fun of yourself first, so then you can mm-hmm. make fun of anything. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the best approach when you're introducing <laughs> a trans character in film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not necessarily like the, and that mm. might again be product of its time that 1983, like you had to. Mm. But it's still frustrating to see now in some ways, even though I do think they moved past that very quickly and they like. Do much better work after. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and uh, and a lot of my stand-up is about being trans and what that means, and and some of it is about subverting that idea that people are already expecting. So I completely get exactly what you're saying with that, like the idea of, yeah, like a also if they are trans, like if this was even if this was being played by a trans woman. Mm-hmm that joke would still be there and it would still be kind of like, all right, whatever. But like at the same time, kind of like you were saying, like because they moved on, because it was like, all right, there it is to show the audience that is at this time, maybe they should know more trans people, but they don't like something so that they can connect. And then immediately it's like, all right, now we're giving them. But I think it's, I think if they lingered any longer with that, it would have been just transphobic as fuck. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 If that that goes on for even a couple more beats, it just becomes, there's no way you ever take Roberta seriously after that. Like the best thing about this film is that like you really, um, and I, I'm I'm saying this as somebody who is actively very open about my queerness. Mm. Um, so maybe it's different for me than somebody who is um, really sheltered to this knowledge and information, and or just hasn't experienced a lot of trans people in their life. But um, like I felt at least that the rest of the film was very easy to not forget necessarily because I was I felt very proud watching John Lithgow mm. like I felt really proud to see representation that I was and like also because I was watching it for this podcast like it was something I was keeping an eye out for right <laughs> but like I felt like even um if I was coming in with no knowledge no working knowledge it would be really easy for me to leave and this film would be in 1983 I feel like if I was somebody who had no working knowledge of tra- or experience with trans people at all and I saw John Lithgow in this film I would walk away, and if I ran into a trans person on the subway or anywhere, I would feel more at ease with the newness of that. Mm. And like this is, I I feel like this is a helpful film in lots of ways Mm. because because of the way Roberta is handled the rest of the time. It's it really isn't like like even later on when like the stuff that I feel like is like part of 
trans life that they were touching on later where Roberta is having trouble dating for all these like sort of bullshit reasons and like trouble um with like the hate mail and stuff like that mm. like well the hate mail you could attribute to her work with uh garp's mom and the mm. trouble dating like everybody has trouble dating dating blows you know what i mean like mm. there's even though those are things that like i can identify with as somebody who's like been asked on tinder if i had a dick like like <laughs> just, just like third question mm. um, <laughs> like hey how are you that question. Yeah, so, yeah. like, is there a dick or is there not a dick? Because I'm really only uh, honest if there's a dick. Uh, yeah. uh, um, like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mm. I felt like it would be really easy to um, do handle that better. I felt like this was, yeah. Yeah. So, I also just want to take a moment and uh, let you know if it looks like I'm constantly on my phone and not listening, I'm, I am listening, A, I'm changing audio levels, but also um, one of the other things is this it makes it a lot easier for me to see any comments, anything that people say. So, if you have any questions, if you saw uh, World According to Garp and you loved it, you hated it, you thought, you think that we're absolutely incorrect, let us know. I mean, we might not agree with you because we clearly both love John Lithgow in this. Right. I mean, I like, yeah, but I yeah. think, and I think that there is like elephant in the room. John Lithgow is not trans. John sure. Lithgow at least does not openly identify as trans, so it's problematic. I saw it John exists. Lithgow two weeks ago. John Lithgow, yeah. as far as I know, is not trans. <laughs> I mean, he, hey, you know, physical appearance, you right, never know. Right, right, but yeah, right, like, right, right. but yeah, but as far as. Is it problematic, and could it be transphobic? Yeah, because it's not, because it's taking a role away from a potential trans actor. But how many trans actors are getting hired in 1983 for major motion pictures? This is a Robin Williams movie, you know what I mean? This is a two-hour... Well, and I feel like that's... Uh, I'm, what I will say is I feel like that that's an excuse that gets used, and it still gets used to this day. Right, And right. I think that's why, as much as... That's why... Because the argument also pops up at, that... Um, I'm we should, yeah. Asking. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no, no. Like, no. Like, I'm with like, you. Yeah, like, like, are, like, are trans people even really being hired for mm. film at this time? As far as I know, at that point, it was still like you would be blacklisted if sure. they found out, and you know, like the the really like skeevy way of like, mm, okay, well, we're just not going to hire that person because nobody's going to take them seriously as insert gender here, right. um, and again, like, because that's still stuff that we're working with, and so. Uh, this could so no matter what why I say what I say is that this still could have been the role that could have brought a trans actor into prominence right, right. so John Lithgow did take that role so that exists but my god he did a great job with it Anyway, um, the other part of that that I was going to say, um, I pulled up a couple of articles, I pulled up a couple of reviews for the movie that had come out, uh, one from Roger Ebert, uh, he really enjoyed it, um, let me just find it there, but yeah, Roger Ebert loved it, uh, particularly, of course now I can't find it now that I've said that, uh, dot 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 dot, yeah, so... Uh, but while I'm looking for his specific quote, uh, let me tell you that if you're watching us right now, we do a live stream. We're going to try and do it a little bit more regularly and a little with a little bit more notice in the future. But uh, with this live stream, you're watching it now. It'll be up on this Facebook website for a little while. Uh, then it'll come down, but it'll be available to you if you donate at least $1 to our Patreon. You'll be able to see our wonderful faces. See what wonderful things we're doing. What am I doing with my hands? 
you don't know if you're just listening to the podcast. So, uh, that said, so Gene Siskel or Roger? Roger Ebert. Uh, Roger Ebert said in the Chicago Sun-Times that uh, he was entertained but unmoved. Three stars as a palatable interpretation of the novel, considering it one it was wonderfully well written, yet cruel, annoying, and smug. But he continued, I thought the acting was unconventional and absorbing, especially by Williams, by Glenn Close as his mother, and by John Lithgow as a transsexual. I thought the visualization of the events by director George Roy Hill was fresh and consistently interesting, but when the movie was over, my immediate response was not at all what it should have been. All I could find to ask myself was, what the hell was all that about? This is the most I've ever disagreed with Roger Ebert, and I like, really, I really like Roger Ebert too. And like, <laughs> this is like the mm. most I've ever—I don't think I've ever like disagreed with Roger Ebert as far as I know. I mean, I, that's he's mm. reviewed so many movies that like, there's, I'm sure, but like, mm. I'm just like really amazed that I guess like I'm amazed that emotionally there was nothing pulled from it. At least, mm. uh, even in the sense that like the film has all this like is is like largely about like. Um, the sanctity of life and death and just from a human perspective like I don't really care when movies talk about death that much mm. like in general every movie every other movie is about death this I thought was like a really great example of a film about like the trajectory of a life and the different paths that a life can take and um, the way your choices affects like the t- typical like normal bullshit that a movie can be about but I thought this one handled all those things with a lot more um, sincerity and compassion mm. Um, than I typically see in film. I don't know. I was like, I really, yeah, I'm like a little pissed at Ebert right now. (laughs) Well, one of the, like, it's, I think part of it is because they sort of shied away and were very subtle about a lot of the, especially the major moments like death. Like, you you were talking to me a little bit about, um, I didn't even get that their other kid died by the end. Yeah, maybe he's pissed about the stuff that gloss over. I mean, I haven't read the the book, so maybe, like, mm. the the other kid dying is, like, it's Mm. a huge, like, chapter in the book or something like Mm. that, and, like, that's the thing that he connected to a lot emotionally Mm. um, that was missed, I guess, but, like... Mm. I also feel like, because some of the other criticisms that I've seen is that, like, well, they did a good job adapting that smug-as-hell book, so, like, I feel like maybe the book was a little over, like, and this was an over-the-top movie. <laughs> but, like, I wonder if maybe, and again, I haven't read the book, but I wonder if maybe the book was a little, and especially when you write a book about writers writing about writing, yeah, as much as this was not that, it was a writer who kind of started writing, kind of started moving in that direction, and then stopped uh, for a while. You you do kind of get them, I, I don't know, it kind of it gets a little pretentious at that point and so I wonder if maybe the book has that for it but the way that it was adapted mm. I thought it was really tight like yeah, yeah I mean like as a screen like as a, mm. like as a screenplay because I come from a playwriting background like if mm. you if I was going to teach um, this would be a great tool to teach Aristotle from like there's like a couple that we always go to there's like back, oh like, okay yeah Back to yeah. the Future is a really mm-hmm. good example of Aristotle mm-hmm. um, uh, Dr. Horbell's sing-along blog is a really good example of Aristotle if I haven't thought about that yet. Yeah, 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 like they're just like okay, really yeah. good teaching tools. Mm-hmm. As a teaching tool, this yeah. is a really great. Like I was watching it, I was like, yeah. If I ever find myself unfortunately fucking having to teach Aristotle, <laughs> even though that's like, the most boring way to tell a story, like you, mm. 
this is a really good example of like really good um, film like film structure and like uh, uh, even subverting a lot of the normal Aristotelian things and like bringing a lot of things out of left field that um, were surprising. Like it's a it's a at the very least it's an interesting way to show that. Um, uh, but like as far as like there, there is the moment where he's he's um, learning how to tell a story and he notices like a couple fighting and he goes home and he like tries to like write about the couple and like bring the like there are mm. moments like that where I'm like yeah this is like too much of a movie about a writer learning to be a writer and that's fucking annoying like I don't mm. like whatever like I get it and I, there was a moment where I was worried about it like going into that but it's like the writer thing just becomes a tool for him to have for him and his mom to establish their places in the world like he and mm. his mom both write books at the same time his mother's book takes off. His mother's book becomes, you know, this fe- this second wave feminist icon mm. thing, and um, adapt like changes the way people think about stuff. And he becomes known as the bastard son of um, I can't remember her name. Yeah, literally the bastard son of yeah her yeah like all of mm-hmm. these people. Somebody recognizes him on the street. Oh, you're the bastard kid of you know like he yeah. he he does not get to be a writer because mm. his mom is the writer. Like some people know he's a writer, and mm. but he always, is like always living in the shadow of his mom, even though he like mm. kind of wanted to be a writer first in the film at least. Mm. Um, so well, like mm. yeah, like the writing thing is just sort of to get them there so that you they mm. can have a relationship later that we understand. Well, and the mom didn't seem to have any interest, and you you kind of started talking about that too. Like the mom didn't seem to have any interest in writing until he started writing about her, mm-hmm. and then suddenly, like, a yeah, that is her story to tell. And I think the way she put it was, "When I'm dead, you can tell stories about me. Until then, make it up." Mm-hmm. And then there's a great line there where he goes like, "But mom, I haven't lived in, I haven't, nothing's happened to me yet." And he's like, <laughs> "Yeah." She, it's incredible. It's a great line. The the unfortunate problem of the young writer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, then she puts out the book, and one of his major objections is, "Why am I in this book? Will you like, why are you writing about me if I can't write about you?" Well, and she doesn't let him read it before it goes to the publisher. Yeah. Like he he gets he is in the publishing office and mm. sees it for just a second, just long enough to be like, "Wait, why is why am I in this?" It's yeah. This, um, like that relationship is also is always skewed, and it's part of mm. it is that you need them both to be writers for it to be a thing. Yeah, I mean, the, it, like if anything, if anything, it's a movie about a bad writer. Like he is not mm. necessarily. We never really. There are moments where they allude to him having like writing success and prestige, where they're like, "You're mm. no, nah, like Garp, you've already like mm. you you've established yourself as a serious writer. People get it, blah 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 blah." Mm. But like, there's that, but. At least for him, it's never satisfying because it's never what his mom had, and mm. it's never, you know what I mean. Like, if it is a film about a writer, that's an annoying film about a writer. It's undercut by the fact that he like never gets to enjoy his literary success. I think that's mm. great. I mm. think that's a great way. Like, for to say it's smug ignores the fact that like, you know, he he ends up really just being like a family man. Like his his values yeah. of like his writing change. It's not it's not the movie about. It's not a movie about like the Hemingway type who just you know always is you know slurking off, and it is about how brilliant I am. Like it's a movie mm. about how brilliant his mom is, and about how he's just kind of normal, mm. if anything. I like that. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, yeah, huh? Like it's it's a yeah. it's a, the, yeah. the world according to Garp suggests a film about an exceptional man, and mm. the way the film begins, you get the sense of oh, this will be a film about an exceptional man. And he's an exceptional child, but like, mm. what's really great about it is yeah, it really is about how he just sort of turns up and 
isn't all that exceptional. In fact, the people around him all like live much more interesting lives than he does. He ends mm. up, you know, a similar fate to his mom because he's he mm. is who he is, and um, he does end up writing something that angers people. But it's I don't know. Like by the time he is like a writer, I it, writing is just like his job more or less. You know what I mean? It's not. Mm. I don't know. They don't treat writing in this film with the same usual masturbatory like. Like writing is the best. Like if you, if you, like everybody who's ever become a writer has that like one movie or that one TV show that like probably Aaron Sorkin wrote that like is, you know, <laughs> that it, that glorifies writers mm. so much and makes us makes them seem like the fucking rock star you're gonna be someday. And then like right. it, like every writer has to have that moment where they're like, no, I'm just like a person. <laughs> it's like oh, I can be on the New York Times bestseller list and still have to work at Starbucks type yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or just like that <laughs> that like art making in general is not. Yeah. Um, such a special like glorified thing so like for Ebert mm. to say that is like kind of like mm. maybe there weren't as many like douchebag writer movies at that time so this just seemed like <laughs> one but like it's like we need one I feel like there <laughs> yeah. have always been douchebag writer movies oh god yeah <laughs> mine was mine was a film called Restaurant with Adrian Brody where he was like working in a restaurant and he was a playwright and his <laughs> somebody in the, else in the restaurant like got a part in his play and he was mad because that guy like slept with this girlfriend and baba doo ba doo and I was like I was like I must have this <laughs> life I was like this is a life that I need oh my god I need to be an tab- angry and, person who works in a restaurant yeah, and, yeah now yeah, I live yeah, in yeah. New York and I eat all my food from the Dollar Tree <laughs> <laughs> So uh, so I wrote a bunch of notes. So can I just say, in the beginning, there's a long shot of, like, a baby being thrown up and down, and <laughs> I feel like, and immediately this is going to get used against me, and there's nothing wrong with naked bodies. I just always question when they feel when a when when a filmmaker or someone just needs to show that baby genitalia mm. it's it's just like a weird choice for me and i guess because a lot of this movie is based around like there there's definitely a theme about like body injury and fear of one's own body and mortality flying. and flying that like I get the flying but why couldn't the baby be in a diaper I kind of like, I kind of like yeah like, I mean, like, it's fine it, it's well, just... it just it just for me it like helped <laughs> me um like I did I did some um what's a good way to express <laughs> this that doesn't sound crazy um l- like like I like growing up there was always I have a couple mm. I have a couple other friends who've had the same um fear where you just are growing up like concerned about like am I going to grow up to be a pedophile just is that going to naturally mm. be um you know I've I've read things online about people who um are just prone to be attracted to children they don't act on it they don't mm. have they can't get the porn because it's illegal and their life is very sad because they that's just what they're attracted to but they can't act on it because morally it is like not does not fit the convention and um i mean there's i feel like there's a lot in that but i i yeah, hear there's, what there's, you're i hear yeah, what you're trying to communicate there's, there's, with there's that a lot yeah to, what, I'm, what mm-hmm. I'm saying is like um yeah um like i grew up fearing being a pedophile in the same way that a few of my friends have because it's just mm. something that's like villainized on television so much um watching that baby i had a moment because i've not seen a lot of baby dicks mm. just like ever watching that moment I had this moment of like ah oh, like that's not something I am interested in and that feels <laughs> that feels no it was like nice to have a little bit of no, confirmation I, I was like yeah. cool cool this is doing nothing to me this is not I'm not like pausing this movie and like not able to move past the first 10 minutes like I I'm I, st- I'm I'm trying to express I this in a way you. that does not villainize pedophiles anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. because I understand mm-hmm. that it's a psychological condition that um, mm-hmm. um is not always 
criminal, but also saying that for me, like it was, it was. I had a similar response to that that I did um, the first time I did nude stuff on film for mm. um, like an art project where I felt like, oh, my body is not a secret anymore, mm. and that made me feel like I own my body more. And with this, I felt like, oh, it's because this is not being portrayed in a sexual way, it removes my mm. own fear of the unknown. Okay. No, I hear that. I just, it's just always like, I always feel like, what is the point? And (laughs) watching it again, like, okay, so much of it is focused on body and so much of it is on like, but it was just like, man, like they're just like four slow-mo naked baby throw-ups. It's just like, do do we need four? Like, what is the... You do notice the dick more and more. Like, the more it comes up, the more you're like, oh, yeah, now that's all I can see. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We're definitely focused on baby dick too much. Um, So... (laughs) There were there were a couple of other things that stood out to me. Um, so my my wife was watching and she asked actually if uh, Garp was disabled or had a disability that they had talked about because she just walked in and she saw the child acting um, and I don't think they ever were going in that direction but I feel like it like there was something well, about the way that like I don't know well, like. Well, uh, just uh, the specifically, she walked in around the time that he was, um, like, before he went on to like when he walked away to go to the wrestlers, and then he ended up on the roof, and oh. so just like some sort of like some kind of disability that they had talked about, and they, I think it was just him being a kid. Yeah, he's. But yeah, it, like, there's a lot of stuff early on where he's just like a mm, very curious kid. He's obsessed with his yeah. dad when the movie opens because mm. his dad like died and he doesn't really mm. know the full story. He finds out the story I think like later that night. Yeah. Yeah, he finds out. That's the night he finally finds out the story because the that's old man right. gets hurt and his mm-hmm. mom like is like, mm. yeah, there was a dying soldier who always. There's like this whole. Mm. I mean, that's a whole other. Yeah, that's a whole like, other topic man. we should get into probably. Yeah. There's like the story of his, his Garp's conception. Conf- yeah. uh, conception like, is that like. His mom was a nurse in the war. She hated sex. She hated lust. But she wanted a baby. And she wanted a baby without... There's a great line later. And she's like, I wanted a baby without somebody owning my life. You know, without mm. a man, like, having control of my life. Um, she meets this soldier who can only say the word garp over and over again. He is dying. But he's, like, always getting erections. And um, she, like, on the last night of his life, she, like, has sex with him. And he, while he's sleeping because he's got an erection she has sex with him while he's sleeping he wakes up says good and then like dies Mm. and I have so many feelings (laughs) about that story Mm. well there's a there's a lot of that uh, and especially like right after the the dean the guy that he that uh, she is treating he just says very horrified like you raped that man you raped him and then ran away uh, and why don't I put just like a really quick trigger content that we're about to talk about a lot more uh, weird bits in this movie where there's a lot of dubious consent being yeah. stated like yeah. especially like a little bit later Garp is told by his neighbor like oh I know how babies are made do you want to know and they go through this whole thing uh, that that was actually like a moment I kind of really loved it was it was a great honestly it was a good moment but I think it was almost played for laughs oh I think it was played for laughs in the same mm. way that um, 
I mean, should explain it in a second, but like I think yeah. I, I I would say it was played for laughs in a way that helps illustrate what's wrong about that. Yeah, because it's, it's okay. like two children. It's mm. Garp is Garp is a child, and his neighbor is a child, and she says, "I know how babies are made," and he goes, oh, "How are they made?" And she goes, "She goes, well, first, um, first I say <laughs> I not tonight. I'm too tired, and mm. then you attack me and you take off my clothes." Yeah, and I thought that was a really good way of illustrating like the problem with like just like in the, on a large scale like. Mm. Uh, uh, a lot of men's problem with consent. Like, mm. I thought it was, like, a really good... Because um, it's obvious she's just talking about her parents. It's just stuff mm. she's heard through the walls. And so it's, like, it was a good, um, light-hearted way. Because the whole... This is before his mom's written the book, and his mom mm. views sex in this negative way and starts this movement and everything. And a lot of the things that she's fighting against are things like what's happening with this girl's parents, probably. You know what mm. I mean? That's probably why she's abstained from sex in so many ways, is that she understands that men have a lot of trouble with consent and so I thought mm. it was a really good way of like identifying the problem while underscoring it like the same way that like mm. if you have two kids playing house in any context at all you get a sense of like that's a really good lens on adulthood mm. you know because children are like honest and children are imitating mm -hmm. in this case I thought okay like two kids who are like don't understand consent like they they understand the concept of sex but they don't have any idea this was such a good like I don't know. I, I mm. thought it was, I thought it was pretty playful and like, t like it's not. It would be different if that moment actually led to them trying to have sex mm. at that age. You know, it would be different if that like really was how they were both like jumping into that for the first time, like mm. a tr like a true misunderstanding of the moment. But in the same way that it was kind of like a playing house, playing doctor kind of moment I thought it was like a much more of a comment on the parents and the society in general that led into the mom stuff a lot better there were a lot of moments mm. like that leading into his mother that sort of um, a lot of moments that sort of like highlight the problems with manhood before um, mom's book comes into play there's um, she goes down into the locker or he goes when he goes into the locker room mm. and there's all those guys who are just, just making um, uh, dick jokes and like cum jokes and stuff like that and she's you know talking about there are a bunch of animals and stuff like that. I mm. thought was a great moment. There's a lot of things leading up to it that because in order for you to do a film about uh, 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 like a feminist book taking over, it helps to remind us of the world that we're in. Mm. And this is a film that starts in like the 1940s. Mm. Right? Yeah, it's like 1944 is when he's born. Yeah, yeah, because it's right after the war. Yeah. So yep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the other the other. So I want to bring up a, a quote from another critic. Uh, this is a critic named Pauline Kael. Uh, I don't know this person. I actually am not sure where they wrote for, which I can look for. Um, but it's apparently from one of her books, and I'm a little worried about where who this person is, so I'll have to look them up later, but... Uh, they said there's no feeling of truth in either the book or the movie, and that this generally faithful adaptation seems no more and no less than a castration fantasy. Uh, again, I don't know this, this particular got some writer. Brutal reviews. Yeah, yeah. Like the Ebert one's pretty brutal, but that's like yeah. Well, and even the Ebert one was just kind of like, ah, there are some great performances, but meh. Like this one was. And there's there is a lot about bodily like there's a lot of body stuff going on in this. There's a there's a dick that gets bitten off. Mm -hmm. There is um, 
now we don't see any of that. It just happens. Yeah. They actually go to a, a still frame of it happens off screen, like a, yeah. like a Sophocles play. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, like there's there's that. Uh, there's the women that <laughs> that uh, cut off all their tongues. Yeah. Um, again, we don't see. It's just that is what we are told. Um, and I think, unfortunately, that also throws Roberta under the bus with that. Um, just so. more because about the, like, with the criticism color? specifically, and I wonder, like, I wonder if the writer was looking at this as a this character, this the uh, the the character of Roberta is here. Um, because all of these characters have to deal with some sort of, like, it's... I worry that it may have initially be intended to focus on body stuff, uh, particularly, but I almost feel like, I don't know, like, I'm just worried that, like, with a criticism like that, I wonder if there is any merit to it. Like, is this whole thing just a castration fantasy? I don't think so. I wouldn't say so. As somebody, hmm. I mean, that's... Like, I guess that's where I'm going with it, is well, like, why isn't it that? Like, hmm. as something, I mean, like, I I, hmm. I just wrote my last, my last uh, post-language hmm. pamphlet is on castration, and it's on, hmm. um, it has a lot to do with, like, um, has a lot to do with that moment, um, or a moment that I was facing where I really was trying to understand my own relationship to my body, hmm. and um, my own, like, sort of, what is my end game here? Hmm. If that makes sense, like yeah. sort of like at the beginning of um, I like I I came to New York in uh, I first moved to the area in like October of 2015, mm. and I was pretty uh, the like like that that like that whole like joke about like the Midwestern kid who like moves to New York and just gets a lot more like gay a lot quicker like the whole <laughs> like the, like almost like the mm-hmm. Thirty Rock joke kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. That's my life more or less in a lot of ways. Mm. And I didn't when I when I got out here I knew. I knew that I was queer, but I didn't really understand um, how to express that or what I intended with that or what... um, Mm. I knew that I didn't really fit into the... I knew I was really bad at being a guy. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I knew that I really just, like, didn't have a handle on manhood. My attempts at masculinity were very... um, had caused more pain than anything, Mm. especially in relationships, but um, internally as well. And um, I personally had a castration fantasy for years from um from um Abelard and Heloise of all things this this old like um I think it's like a it's old English like uh text it's the it's the if you've ever seen Being John Malkovich it's the story that um John Cusack is telling with the puppets at the beginning of Being John Malkovich when he's got like his little like street theater thing going on Mm. um uh there's this the, the whole thing in Abelard and Heloise is this um keep talking i'm this. just gonna fix my video feed no from worries, the other no thing um the whole thing in abelard and heloise if, uh for those of you keeping score at home is uh he's a he's a a monk at the or he, yeah he's at this monastery and he ends up having this affair with um uh, a nun and he feels so much shame for it that he castrates himself so that he can focus more on his um work he can focus on his relationship with god and as a uh as if you know somebody who was raised Catholic and as an artist, that's the thing that I've always like really struggled with is my own um, sense of focus and like how like relationships in general and sex in general has always clouded my ability to like um, get my get my shit together and take care of my um, take care of my art and take care of my practice and um, 
which is something that you know I've learned how over time to like slowly deal with a little bit better. But like, um, so th when I got to New York, um, I really didn't have a handle on all that. It was something that it was just still like a lot of thoughts that were like rattling around my brain and like really hadn't done, a l I hadn't um, ever really been single, so I didn't really have time to spend to explore myself and like really understand like what is even going on with me and what do I actually want and what do I and was still maintaining this very heteronormative um, cis kind of lifestyle hmm. um, and then I got out here and I met people who you know opened my mind a lot and helped me um, explore things and felt safer exploring things so you know um, I, I was working at a job where somebody uh, you know I had a friend who was painting his nails and that sort of got me feeling a little bit more brave and that you know like that kind of mm. thing slowly starts to happen to you and I see that happening all the time in New York where um, there's somebody I was talking to the other day who um, has painted their toenails for years but mm. only recently is starting to like wear like maybe do the fingernails as well because it's a little bit more out in the open it's mm. um, we talk about being like undercover versus um, it's like how gender is like really a performative yeah. thing like being stealth or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good word for it um yeah. Uh, and so, like, the last, one of the last pamphlets I put out was all about, like, dealing with, like, um, mm. castration fantasy and dealing with, um, I, like, I recognize in doing that, that that work has a lot to do more with my own, um, relationship with masculinity and my own, um, confusion mm. than necessarily the elements of me that, um, are trans, mm. I guess, like, there's a distinction in my mind, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's. Um, like in the work, it, it's all about this character. It's like it's their their misconstrued attempt at being like a woman is like, well, the first thing I should do is just cut off my dick. Yeah. And that's not like that's wrong. It's not like, right? You know what I mean? But I understand that instinct mm. because that was part of my instincts. At mm. least was like, uh, I hate everything about manhood, and I hate like my penis because I hate everything mm. about being a man, and I hate. And this is the most man thing about me. I'm not good at being a man, but this is the one thing that identifies me as a man the most, mm. just in, a, in an animalistic way. So if I got rid of that, well, fuck, we can move on and we can keep, mm. we can do some real work. And so, like, as someone who's explored that, like, at some length, mm. okay, I no, like, this is this mm. is there's there are there mm. are there are plenty of things about. So, like, even in the film, like the, the mm. women who are cutting off their tongues they're doing that for this girl who was out of protest because this girl was raped and he the girl who was raped meets him and eventually confirms his fears that like this isn't something that she ever wanted anybody to do this self-mutilation this is not when I see the castration moments in the film they're either um, one of them is one of them has to do with like uh, uh, like cheating and has to do with like um, is like a re repercussion for like this guy like showing up to this woman's house and not really listening to her about like we can't do this anymore and him being mm -hmm. like well if you just give me a head you know but that then it'll be fine then we can really say goodbye and then like yeah I mean like mm. he didn't listen to her there's not great consent in that moment mm. and he's getting her drunk in the car one last time for this like one last thing like mm. like at least morally there's a setup for that with the cat like the tongue cutting off that's all um, looked at as sort of confusion or as mm. sort of not even confusion but just um, uh it's at odds with what the person they're doing it in honor of would want, so it mm. still opens up this gray area there. If anything, um, the elements of this that are like quote-unquote castration fantasy, I feel like accurately describe some of the confusion of growing up and not really like um, not really feeling comfortable in your body or not feeling like the, mm. the part of me watch yeah the part of me watching this is um, 
uh, somebody who like identifies as genderqueer and genderfluid and I, I look at all of that and I was like yeah that's if, if we're going to go there if we're going to say it's a castration fantasy the things that are making you uncomfortable are really real fucking shit that people are like it ha- you know there's a lot of confusion to this there's a lot of um, and especially especially um, for the 80s where there's less I imagine less literature and less of a community than there is like there's a v- like you know, growing trans communities now that are very visible and very strong to the point that it's part of the national conversation as opposed to this film where we still have to make the joke to even get the person in the door yeah well and and I think you hit on exactly why it's not necessarily castration fantasy is that idea of like it's because it's exploring the gray area of people doing things outside of other people's wishes and and the idea that like I think the other thing is they shy away from doing anything super explicit anything super like every like I say everything in this is over the top in some way shape or form but it's performed very naturally and I think because it, they try very hard to show the humanity in this, that it doesn't just go into some sort of castration fantasy. Uh, but also, the the only reason that I was kind of like, ah, is because we are putting a trans woman in a number of spaces where there is a lot of, like, body harm or body, uh, like sometimes forced, sometimes um, elected body changing, I guess? And I just, I'm maybe I'm just now kind of sick of, like, ugh, this isn't just another, like, oh, I'm changing body. It's like, no, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And because they made Roberta a real character, that's why I think it moves away from that. Sure, sure. So, but yeah, it's... It is what it is. I just feel like that's <laughs> yeah. such like that's such a. Mm. I feel like to, mm. to say that like to walk away from this film and say um, it's just a castration fantasy mm. is a like a really, like a really like lazy way of describing this film mm. to begin with because I think this film is just just in the detail count alone like we're mm. just talking like purely from a technical standpoint of how many plots subplots how many characters yeah. how many characters who have distinct lives, how many um, characters have distinct backstories, motives like in the sense that this is a play that is sprawling or a, a film that is sprawling um, in its in its detail alone hmm. to walk away and say that is like very lazy but it's also um, I feel like it's a recoil hmm. response like I feel like that's it's to walk away and to say that is to is to really like be somebody who had a very narrow mind going in mm. to this film. You know, that's a very like I would say like that almost they were looking to have this opinion. Type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's okay. a, that's a person who walked in and or who mm. saw the trailer for it and was like, "This is going to be this," and I've got this great phrase for it, castration fantasy. That's going to fucking read in the article. Mm. And then walked out and was like, "Yeah, it's castration mm. fantasy." Like they can't get over like. It's like somebody like that's an irresponsible writing thing mm. where it's the like oh I've got this good phrase and I'm never gonna come up with a better phrase so I'm just gonna use this one phrase and defend it regardless of like the depth of the opinion or not and mm. you know what I mean like to yeah I feel like it's a really limited review yeah. I'm like mad at that review I'm mad at the review no you s- <laughs> well there's a very good chance and again like as I was looking through this person um, it was from a book that they wrote called neutered. And I'm curious, I need to do more research on this writer, 
because I feel very, I'm getting very turfy vibes from this writer. So it could be one of those type of books, and she could be one of those type of writers. So she probably had an agenda going in. Um, oh, man. Which, yeah. Oh, no, man. sorry to sorry to throw out, like, hey, here's a turfy uh, nah, nah, it's just like, that's such a interpretation, but it's just like, hey, you know, it's. Like you're, if you're let's, writing a book called it. if yeah. you're writing a book called neutered, you gotta call one film a castration fantasy at least. I just would mm. maybe go with Applehart and Heloise first because there's actual castration. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would mm. start with I would start with like if mm. you're gonna call this a castration fantasy, maybe start with the one where he actually castrates himself because he loves God so much. Like mm. as opposed to like a film where somebody's dick gets bitten off in a car accident and mm. you know what I mean? Like and like mm. maybe like reflects more like this film. If anything is a like the castration comes in as more of a reflection on monogamy mm. than like anything um, remotely trans. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like half of this film is not. There's a whole. There's a whole mm. plot of this film where his. Um, for those of you keeping score at home, there's a whole <laughs> yeah. plot of this film where uh, his wife starts having this affair with this um, uh, one of her graduate students, and as sort of like an escape from um, home, and partially because there's this ambiguous moment where we don't know if he's fucked their babysitter or not. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. that... He goes home with the babysitter, and, like, there's that moment in the car, and we never know if they actually, like, had sex. And then mm. later, his wife starts having this, like, regular... It, 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 like, seems... When he comes home, it seems a lot like he probably had sex with his babysitter, because he, you know, uh, like, is starting to turn on the charm with her and starting to dial up the family stuff mm. in such a guilt-heavy way that I'm like, yeah, you fucked that babysitter. Yeah. It was a... It was a almost creepy scene watching Robin Williams and he was just you know he's just like oh you know I'm doing my thing I'm Robin Williams and but it was just it was a little like it wasn't hard to watch but it was just like ooh okay it it becomes harder to watch Mm. later when her Mm. affair actually starts because he's so pissed about her affair but it seems like the only reason he ever started to step up the family shit was because he did something and he felt guilty about it. But we never mm. know the we never we never know the answer to like mm. just just in terms of like this this film's like feminism or not. Mm. Um, uh, it really, while it is a film that largely like is about or like has a lot of feminist qualities, um, and like historically, mm. especially like like brings in all this information. Um, it's a film where I think both of the people in the monogamous relationship cheated, but only the woman is ever punished for it, and she is punished in a fucking major way. Like, yeah. she is punished... Like, like for him to even be mad about the affair is bullshit, because, mm. we, like, we have all this evidence that he probably slept mm. with this girl. Um, for him to... You know what I mean? Like, there's so many, there's so many aspects of it that are, like... Yeah, but you fucked up too, and mm. we as the audience are left in the dark on that. So we always have to like maybe take his side because maybe he mm. didn't sleep with her, and that it is the world according to Garp. Yeah, I mean, but like if yeah. it's the world according to Garp, then what the fuck did Garp do with the the babysitter? Because yeah. that 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 really affects my viewing of the rest of the of her cheating. You know what I mean? Mm. And cheating and like 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 yeah, there's a lot of things about monogamy in this film that I thought were mm. very interesting and very um, they villainize this woman and they make her into this 
like cheating person who then is punished by biting off the dick of her lover losing her child in the same moment mm. that that night like her husband found out that she was cheating and then all of a sudden he can't forgive her for any mm. of this mm. later for forever and he's being mean to her while they're living on the compound it's like yeah but if you cheated in the first place that was the ignition that set her on that whole relationship with this student in the first place her suspicion of you mm. which you were being so suspicious that it's hard for me like and for us in the audience yeah. to be left in the dark means that mm. we have to make that conscious choice during the film to be like we're left in that like gray space mm. for the rest of the film and like still even now I am like still pissed at Garp yeah <laughs> like, if that makes sense yeah so there's a lot of stuff we haven't been able to talk about and I feel like uh, we could probably talk for a lot longer but we should start trying to wrap up <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to eventually hear more talk as to whether people think this is actually a feminist movie yeah. because there are a lot of great feminist moments I fucking love Glenn Close we didn't even talk really about Glenn Close <laughs> but like she, she was great um, but I'm curious because there were definitely a lot of moments uh, and again like we gotta sort of move away from it but uh, I'd love for, to hear from other people whether they read this as feminist or anti-feminist uh, or neither or just sort of ambivalent feminist ambivalent um, I feel like there are strong cases to be made for all three of those things to be yeah. honest like, no I agree yeah yeah. I think that there's yeah I mean I guess we're going to get into it really quick um, well, no, <laughs> yeah, what do you, what do you think? yeah I mean I think I think that there were a lot of really good feminist moments but I think that and especially with the ending, and especially the, like, they telegraph that by having a shooter uh, in the trees for the first rally. Mm. Like, I think that they do a good job of telegraphing that that's probably going to happen again, uh, and that a woman becomes successful, therefore a man comes in with a gun type of story that, like, ah, oh, man. Like, I feel like on the whole, yes, but I almost feel like there are so many moments where not really. And yeah. it sort of, like, dances in between, so I don't think it's necessarily feminist ambivalent, but I do feel like the moments that exist that are feminist tend to, that are, like, actually legitimately very feminist-leaning, tend to inform something about Garp, as opposed to necessarily I don't know like it's it's still framed around a dude yeah and well it's also it's yeah. also like he's it's still a film where mm. you know he pesters the girl into liking him it is yep. still a film where he gets away with everything and she mm -hmm. does not get away I mean like the the wife like initially before they're ever married like walks in and like sees him um uh getting uh, getting oral sex from the this other girl like there's, mm. there's all, like like Garp sort of has that traditional male trajectory in life where he sort of like seems to get away with everything mm. along the way and like I almost think it's not I mean yeah, I can't say it's not completely but um, mm. in the in the I feel like to um, show such uh, uh, extremist sides of everything mm. without showing um the more moderate sides to mm. the arguments throughout like you're only seeing girls who've cut off their tongue you're not you're only seeing um you know his mother who refuses to have sex with anybody except for this one dead soldier like all this stuff um like i feel like the women in this film are either treated as caricature in service to a man or um are punished mm. unfairly 
Like, I feel like that's a, like, I feel like it's almost not a feminist film in the sense that it's like, like, um, like, who was the author of this? Was it a guy? Cause yeah. It f- yeah, it really mm. feels like it was a guy who thought he was writing about feminism but was doing a terrible job. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that there's not value in this film. I really enjoyed this film. But if we're going to talk about, like, is it feminist? John Irving. John Irving. That's who wrote it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, like, uh, the narrative still, yeah, punishes a woman harder than a man for the same sin over and over again. Um, mm. uh, the women in this film are largely um, devices for either Garp's amusement, pleasure, or anger, probably. Mm. Um, yeah, it's tough to call this a feminist movie. Yeah. It's pretty fucking tough. I yeah. want to, but it's, I, I would say mm. it's a feminist movie in the same sense that, like, any caricature is about the person, but, like... The feminism is almost a really well-constructed prop. Yes. Like, yes. it's a very well-constructed prop, but it's a prop, and it's not really... Yeah, it's mm-hmm. I mean it's sort of like if you painted feminism on a giant tarp and put it up as the scenery for a play. Like yeah. that's about as close as this gets to actually being feminism yeah. as far as I can tell. But maybe there are people who disagree with me and I would love to hear the counter argument to that. Yeah. Cool. So the two questions that we ask at the end of the show every time. Uh the first one is, Did you enjoy it? Now we've pretty much been answering these questions throughout. The entire time. Yeah. <laughs> the entire time. Uh but yeah, like did you enjoy it? You can put it on a scale of one to ten, you can do uh a noise, like something that embodies the way that you feel about the movie, or you can do a motion, which if you're subscribed to our Patreon for at least a dollar <laughs> or more a month you'll be able to see the wonderful motions that we're making and the large eyes that I make. Uh, but, Tony? I really I really enjoyed this film. I, uh, uh, just on a personal level, like, it really uh, had a lot of... There were a lot of things that I, like, connected to, as, like, growing up as a writer and stuff like that. There were a lot of things that I really, like, um, uh, latched onto, and, it, like, it explored a lot of my fears of death in a lot of ways that I really, like, hit home personally. I think it's a complicated film. Mm. Um, but I also like haven't watched a, I haven't watched a movie in a long time because movies cost a thousand dollars to go watch <laughs> at the theater and yeah, they do. I don't like I've, I just spend a lot of time making things in my room and like I don't mm. really watch just movies aren't my go-to for my everyday and like um, it was really nice to just sort of feel lost in cinema again for the mm. first time in a while like this is the I think this is the first movie since like seeing like Forrest Gump when I was a kid that I felt like I really like was taken on such a big journey and like really didn't know where I was going the whole time. I went into this really blind and I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I like this a lot. I feel, because on the whole, yes, I liked it. I wouldn't tell people not to watch it. Mm. I don't think it, like, it, maybe it did need to be two hours, but it was just like, it was particularly in the beginning, I it was just so like a slog for a little bit in my opinion really? and yeah like i don't know i just i wasn't feeling it in the beginning and oh, it was, was too so late in the beginning there, there were some great moments but like it's also one of those movies that again like you'll kind of start getting complacent with it and then a plane will fly into the house or like mm-hmm. and then he'll fall off the roof and be dangling by his leg that glenn close has caught and there's all sorts of like there's a lot of left field. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming out of left field that sort of keep you engaged. And again, because 
and this will move into my response for the next question uh but because of john lithgow's performance mm-hmm. i yeah fuck it watch it yeah that i mean that alone that alone i think has great value just uh the way roberta is handled in this whole film just made me mm. feel that actually like honestly like more than the writer shit like the the roberta moments just really made me feel happy mm. i don't know i haven't really um I don't have like my list of like trans films that make me feel the most like you know great about myself or whatever necessarily mm. but like I um immediately this at least every moment that John Lithgow was on screen I felt a little bit more at home and safe as a human person mm. and I thought that was really nice and touching yeah like I felt very strongly I feel very close to Roberta because I'm also nine feet tall I have the shoulders of a linebacker um, and I just don't give a shit about changing my voice mm-hmm. so it's just it felt very like yeah no this like this character really speaks to me I wish the entire thing was about Roberta but it would probably be a very different movie if it was just so uh, that's mm-hmm. a really, just I know we're supposed mm. to wrap up, but to not gloss over that that is mm. an important. John Lithgow doesn't change the voice. John Lithgow doesn't um, like not play football. Like John yeah. Lithgow still does things that John Lithgow like. Roberta still does things that Robert liked doing, mm. and that were inherent parts. Like it really was a good example of gender as performance. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was a really good example of. There's the stuff that Roberta talks about about like mm. being on hormones and stuff like that that mm-hmm. sort of separate that like at, like elevates it. But at the end of the day, like, still is playing football with the kids and still, like, yeah, I thought that, I really liked how Roberta was handled in this. He also, he gave a quote uh, a couple years ago. He was in a movie with another famous actor that I'm blanking on, but the two of them played a gay couple, and he was asked about the role, and he said, well, it's the least amount of acting I've had to do since The World According to Garp. And he kind of went on with that, basically saying that he portrayed a character that, like, he felt like the way to portray Roberta was to just be, at, to be comfortable with, uh, basically to be comfortable with the character in their body and just be happy. Interesting. Well, yeah. I, mean, I made that like kind of shitty comment about Lithgow earlier, and not I, like I have no idea what Lithgow identifies yeah, as or how well, like no. identify. Uh, that day they were uh, Lithgow was mm. performing, seemed to be performing more masculine. But to be honest, if that's how they're feeling, that's pretty incredible. Well, and and it's more that he came to the character as this is a human, mm-hmm. kind of like what we were talking about in the pre, uh, the pre podcast Kiki, the idea of like, can't I just be human? Yeah. And yeah, like so yeah. yeah. Um now is it transphobic? Once again, same criteria. You can use any way that you need to to describe. I'm trying to give a good face for the Patreon users. But... <laughs> um mm. while it's a film that is uh complicated and is um I would say like a product of its time mm. in lots of ways and maybe naive in certain ways no I wouldn't say it's transphobic I would say if anything the opposite I think it's very um, I think it's like at least in that particular subject mm. as opposed to like the, the feminism of the whole thing and as opposed mm. to the um, really as opposed to just the feminism is very I think skewed but as far as like the is it transphobic no I think it really um, Roberta is a really great character Roberta is a really good um, is is a lot of the redeeming value of this film is Roberta's presence. I, yeah, I, I gotta say no. Mm. 
I tend to agree. I think that uh, with Roberta, the way that... So, with the caveat that it is still a cis man playing a trans character. And with that in mind, it's probably... And I haven't watched really a lot of transparent I hear good things as well but it's probably the best portrayal of a trans woman I've seen a cis man assumed cis man portray like honestly like this was great like the the writing for her was awesome uh the fact that she is affirmed as a woman even though there are a couple of moments where even the moments where that is brought up as a not a question but like as a, a challenge they're immediately dashed away well, she's, yeah. u- she's usually attacked as a woman instead of attacked as a trans woman, which yeah. is the interesting thing. Like the mm-hmm. the guy, who, there's a guy who comes, one of the one of the husbands of one of the women who's living at this compound shows up and is all mad. He's looking for Jenny. Where's Jenny at and stuff? And he mm-hmm. runs into um, uh, Roberta and um, uh, calls it the D word. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's it's that moment where he's just attacking her as you know another one, another one of these lesbians at this lesbian camp mm-hmm. as opposed to. Like not even acknowledging. Like I think the I think he maybe has a moment. Nah, yeah, he he doesn't really get it. Yeah, and that's great. Mm. Yeah. So again, with the with the caveat, it's still cis man portraying trans role. Damn, that's how you do it. Like, yeah, that was great. <laughs> cool. Uh, so since we're wrapping up. Uh, do you have, like, anywhere on the internet you want people to find you? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you go to uh, missuppity.com, you can find most of my stuff. That's M-I-S-S-U-P-P-I-T-Y. Or if you go, um, most people know me from Instagram. That's the best place to find any of my stuff, and it's just at miss underscore uppity. Um, there's a, a post-language video every morning. Um, Usually a couple like little short films during the day, and um, that's where you can also find like the paintings and photographs and art projects along the way. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Lucretia Deer Four L U C R E T I A D E A R Four, and Is It Transphobic also has its own Twitter account at Is It Transphobic very easy to find uh the other place that you can go again the patreon please support us even just a dollar a month is very helpful and you'll get access to the video portion of this as well as the very clean audio and uh yeah or just keep supporting us through itunes leave us some comments i'd love to hear more uh you can find us itunes stitcher or soundcloud uh cool do you have anything else you want to say no thanks for listening thanks for the people who hung out on the live stream and Yeah, all right. Thank you very much, everybody. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.